0: Podcast. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode 206 of the Lax Factor podcast. This is going to be one of the best episodes of the season because conference term- tournament time is one of the best times of the year. So today we will talk about a bunch of games, including Maryland, uh, beating Rutgers in the big final and making a a big statement here. We're going to talk Duke Notre Dame. We'll talk about Georgetown and their big East final, uh, big East championship quest. And pretty much we're going to go through all the games that were played yesterday. We'll talk briefly about the games that were played Friday. And then what we're looking forward to here for the, uh, the last two games of the season Sunday, leading into Selection Sunday, and then I'll I'll prognosticate a little bit in terms of who I think might get an at-large bid, who I don't think will have a chance, and all that crap. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like and subscribe. We are approaching 10,000 subscribers. we got a couple of weeks left to try to get to that 10,000 subscriber threshold before the season ends and things slow down to a lull. I know that I can get to 10,000 during the PLL season. I really want to do it during the NCAA season instead. So, uh, and then as always, you can go to laxfactor.com, support us that way, but let's not waste any more time. Let's get right into this. We'll talk about Rutgers and Maryland playing in the big 10 final. It was, it was just dominance by Maryland. Uh, it was 2-2, two to two, just six minutes in, looked pretty good for Rutgers early, but Maryland was able to extend that lead to 5-2 by the end of the first quarter, thanks to hot starts from Logan Wisnowskis and Anthony DeMeo, and Maryland ended up rolling Rutgers in the big finals and picked up a large statement win. The statement being we are really fucking good at every position on the field, and teams will have to play near flawless games to have any shot in the NCAA tournament against Maryland. Now, I'm not trying to say Maryland's going to win the NCAA tournament hands down. I'm just saying that Maryland has proven that they can beat everybody because they have so far. They've beaten everybody they've faced undefeated, 14 and oh. And if you're going to beat them you are, and even hang with them to a degree, you're going to have to play a near-perfect game. Uh, Wisnowskis, he finished the game with four goals and three assists. He was 3-1 and one in the first half one and two over the second half. Anthony DeMeo, he got those two first quarter goals and then went two and two over the course of the second half, finishing with four goals and two helpers on the day. Now, what we know about Maryland heading into Selection Sunday is they are very good offensively. They attack you no matter what you throw at them defensively. You want to pressure them? They're going to weather that storm and they're going to score goals. You want to try to beat them up? They're going to take the beating and they're going to score goals. And you pretty much have to do one of those two things because if you sit, back and let them execute their offense, they're going to score a boatload of goals. Defensively, they're one of the best in the nation, if not the best. I think Georgetown's the only, the only other team that you can put up there with them defensively. And like their offense, they're aggressive. They never stop pressing you, whether it's Ray Hill, Makar, uh, Zapatello, Paglazi, uh, Geppert, Fairman, it doesn't matter. They are as deep as you get defensively, both at the long, at, at, at close D, uh, uh, LSM, short stick defenders. I mean, they have a plethora of talent everywhere on the field defensively. They're more than capable. They're more. They are more capable than any other team in the nation, p- perhaps, at covering all of your big cats. Once again, Georgetown, the only other team that could even be close. And uh, in cage, Logan McNaney. He's been solid all season. He's stopping shots at a 50, uh, 55.8% clip against a very solid schedule. He's a veteran. So going into the tournament, no, uh, Maryland is feeling very good. But I think more impressive for Maryland... Is the is face off dot. Luke Weirman at the dot has been incredible all season long. His win percentage, 65.4. He scored eight goals with three helpers. He's picked up 121 ground balls for seven turnovers while only giving the ball away 10 times. Uh, you know, th- the dude has been absolutely incredible. Team MVP caliber performance, I think, out of Weirman, even though I don't think he'll get it, because Wisnowskis is going to take that home because he's filthy dirty. So This isn't just the most complete Maryland team that I can remember. Overall, this may be one of the best college lacrosse teams to take the field thus far. Now, I'm not the guy that's going to crown Someone with that title until they win it all. They have to win it all. And at this point, that means they have to go undefeated through the whole season to win the national championship game. A very tall task because there are some very good teams in the tournament. There's some teams that are kind of trending in the right direction, Georgetown being one of them. You always have to look out for Virginia. You know, you, you never know what's going to happen come tournament time, but Maryland right now locked up the number one seed for sure, and someone is going to get a beatdown in the first round of the tournament, uh, I would presume, depending on who they end up playing and how the seeding plays out. But for sure, Maryland right now is my favorite. If you're, if you're to say, of all the teams that you've seen play this season, who do you think is going to win the title? I'm pretty sure Maryland's going to win this title. Once again, that they still have to do it, but in terms of who's in the best position, who's playing the best lacrosse all over the field, right now Maryland is playing solid lacrosse to near perfect lacrosse at every position on the field. Attack as good as any. At the face off dot, they're killing it. They're they're both their midfield units, first two lines can, can ball with anyone offensively. Faceoff dot incredible unit facing off for Maryland. Defensively they're deep. Their goalkeeper's good. I mean you name it, Maryland can do it and they are going to be scary come tournament time. All right, let's talk about the next game. Now, this is a weird one for me to talk about. I'd normally jump into the Ivy next, but because their final is still today, I don't really know how all that's going to shake out. So we'll talk about the Ivies kind of towards the end of the show. But this game was important because this is pretty much a play-in game for each of these teams. Had Duke won, I think Duke would have gotten themselves into the tournament for sure. Now, let's be clear. I think both of these teams deserve a tournament spot, but we'll, we'll get into that and we'll talk about why and all that crap. Now, this game, like, like I said, they're both firmly on the bubble. I think it's crazy if both don't go in, but the, once you look at the criteria and we kind of go through their, their schedules and all that crap, which we'll do here shortly, um, you'll see what I'm, what I'm talking about. Now, Notre Dame, they controlled things early. They took a 4-2 lead off a Pat Kavanaugh goal with two seventeen left in the first quarter. Just Dude just streaked from the corner into the middle of the field, got his hands free, and you can't let Pat Kavanaugh get that close to the net with hands free because he's going to score goals. But then Duke goes on a five goal run, capped by Joe Robertson with 8.44 left in the second quarter. And that gave Duke a 7 4 lead and a lot of momentum in this game. And they'd kind of carry that throughout. Notre Dame would be, uh, they would get things back to sevens. But Duke ruled the second quarter, outscoring Notre Dame 9-3, and that gave them Duke an 11-7 lead at the half. So Duke was playing solid lacrosse over that first half. After Nikai Montgomery came out and gave Duke a 14-10 lead late in the third quarter, it became the Jake Taylor and Eric Dobson show for Notre Dame. Taylor started a six-goal Notre Dame run to finish this game. His first goal uh, first goal of the run uh, gave... Uh, got Notre Dame back to within three goals, a quick stick off a of Pat Kavanaugh His third goal of this run was a sick BTB, which you should be seeing as I'm talking about it, this time from Chris Kavanaugh that tied the game up at 14s with just 5.48 left to play in the game. Eric Dobson's second goal of the run came about 30 seconds later, and that gave Notre Dame the lead for good. Dobson would ice it with 2.18 left, making it 16.14, and that was the final. Now, a big stat over that fourth quarter comeback was Notre Dame forced Duke into three turnovers on their clears. Duke had only failed on three of 20 clears. They were 17 of 20 going into the fourth. They go two of five clearing the ball during that fourth quarter run that Notre Dame kind of took the lead and ran away with it. Those extra possessions helped immensely. Dyson Williams, Brennan O'Neal, they played solid games for Duke, 4 and 1 and 3 and 1 respectively, but the supporting cast was a bit more quiet. Robertson just 1 and 1. He had that goal that you've already seen, and Montgomery was also just 1 and 1. Now for Notre Dame, Jake Taylor has continued his monster seven-game stretch. He puts up six goals off just eight shots, including that BTB late to tie the game up. Pat Cavanaugh, one and four. Quinn McCann, two and two. Uh, And the big boy, Eric Dobson, he was quiet all day, but he puts up three goals in the fourth quarter. The last two were huge to help the Irish get the much-needed win. Now, here we get into the funkiness here, and sadly, you're just looking at this this box score as I'm talking about it, but I'm just going to keep rambling, and you can just watch my pretty face down here in the bottom. Duke had won two straight over UVA and North Carolina, but a loss to Syracuse at the end of March. They lost to Notre Dame in early April, and then they lost to Jacksonville, Loyola, and Penn. Earlier in the season, none of those look good. Now listen, the Penn loss, not a bad loss. The Notre Dame losses, not a bad losses, except they've lost to Notre Dame twice now. But uh, you know, overall that second loss to Notre Dame, I'm just not sure Duke did not finish the season off insanely strong. And I guess we can go right to their schedule here and look. You see here, I mean, we have that loss to Syracuse. That's a rough one. They beat North Carolina, not going to be heavily weighted. I I mean, it's number nine, North Carolina, but in terms of RPI and all that, based on how the dorks do their math, it's not as big of a win as they would need. Uh, They lose to Notre Dame. They beat number six, Virginia. That's huge. They beat North Carolina. They lose to Notre Dame. Now, I think Duke gets in. I, I think that we end up with potentially three... ACC teams in anyway. The problem is just you don't know. I mean, I, to say that Duke's not on the bubble, I think is kind of crazy. And uh, this loss to Notre Dame here to end that see, end their season makes it really rough. I I think that you know I don't know. Now let let's skip this though. Let's move on from Duke and let's look at Notre Dame. Or actually, no, real quick here uh, for Duke. Still, D- does does the fact that Duke has win have win, Does the fact that Duke got wins over Vermont? Robert Morris, Manhattan and Richmond, all won. all those teams won their conference tournaments. Does that help Duke get into the tournament? Because here they've beat four teams that are already going to be in the tournament with a couple of quality wins over some other teams here, like Virginia. That's a big one. So I think that in the end, Duke probably has enough quality wins to get them in, but you know, you can't, I can't ignore all the other prognosticators that are a lot smarter than me as it pertains to the seating, the selection criteria, uh, RPI and all that crap the, them saying Dukes on the bubble means Dukes on the bubble. But I still think that, you know, if it was up to me, Duke and Notre Dame both get in. Now, if we go back to Notre Dame, they've lost to all of the best teams they've played outside of the ACC. They lose to Georgetown, Maryland and Ohio state back to back to back early in the season. They then lost to Virginia before stringing six straight wins together. Now the issue with those six straight wins, two were against Syracuse. One was against North Carolina, still a quality win, but like I said, RPI wise, it doesn't still doesn't look great. And then the other was against Marquette, hardly big wins, the best wins of the season against Duke. I think the six straight helps them for sure. Uh, but they lack a bunch of quality wins and, uh, and you know, and but then, then again, they don't have any really bad losses because all of their, the teams they lost to were all high, you know, ranked high RPIs and all that crap. Ohio State's technically their worst loss. So I think the fact they beat Duke in this season finale helps them. They beat Duke twice. That helps them. And so I think Notre Dame gets in, and I think that puts Duke on the bubble. I think it'd be insane if Duke wasn't in the tournament by the end of this. I think that if you were really to say, hey, let's put the, you know, the best teams in the tournament, I think both Duke, Notre Dame, and Virginia get in. But we don't know what they're going to do, so Duke is going to be watching. I'm leaning into the ACC, despite all the chirping. I'm still leaning into the ACC, maybe getting three teams in, but we're going to see how that goes. And But I'm an idiot, man, so don't listen to me overall. Now, the next game I want to talk about here, Villanova at Georgetown here. Now, this game was all Georgetown from the beginning. Nova's only shot at the tournament was a win. They fell three goals short as they did mount a comeback to make things look al- – a uh, look a little bit more respectable overall, but the outcome was never really in question. T.J. Haley made the score 7-1, to two minutes into the second quarter on a dish from James Riley. Haley's the point man. The defender never rotated up on the fast break to stop the ball. He steps down and he laced one into the corner. Connor Morin, he'd capped the Hoyas' seven-goal run with, uh, with 10.35 to go in the half, an unassisted snipe from the top middle, giving Georgetown an 8-1 lead. Georgetown, they spread things out offensively. Graham Bundy Jr. goes three and one. T.J. Haley had a hat trick. James Riley, a goal and two helpers while also winning 15 of 30 of the draws at the dot. The duo of Gibson Smith and Will Bowen, they forced five turnovers between the two of them. Owen McElroy stopped 17 to 29 shots face, so he had a great day in net. Uh, Smith had three cost turnovers. Will Bowen had two cost turnovers just to make sure they get credits for their stats. Now, Georgetown... They close out a very solid season with their only loss coming to Princeton earlier in the year. They've got quality wins over Penn, Notre Dame, Lehigh, Denver. I think that's going to put them in a position to grab that number 2 seed depending on what happens in the Ivy League finals here. I'd give them the 2 seed, but between 2 and 3, that's almost guaranteed for for Georgetown sitting with a 15 and 1 record and normally I'd chirp Georgetown for their 15 and 1 record because their their quality, you know, strength of schedule was never Top notch this year. They played a very solid schedule, and to go fifteen and one is a testament to how complete this team is. And once again, just like Maryland, they can put it on you offensively. They're decent at the faceoff. Dot defensively, probably the you know two of the best defenders in the country on their team. Owen McElroy, all American caliber goalkeeper. So Georgetown, not quite as complete a team as Maryland, but pretty damn close overall. So I like them. I think if if Georgetown doesn't make it to the final four, I think that will be the biggest letdown in the tournament. I think Georgetown has to get their asses to the final four this year. They cannot have a letdown and not make it uh, because that will be a big failure on this season. And that's it. That's it for that one. Let's move on. To the next game I want to talk about, that is UMBC at Vermont in the America East Final. Uh, UMBC was pesky all day. They held a 7-6 halftime lead, but Vermont came out, played rock solid in the second half, outscoring the Retrievers 7-4, and they go on to punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament. Vermont took an 8-7 lead off a burke Face-off win, Nick uh, Alvedi snags the ground ball, streaked upfield, hit Colin Sharkey, who sniped it from distance. And from that point on, Vermont never, never gave up the lead. It was Sharkey's second goal of the season. That's it for him. Uh, but it came at a great time. UMBC, they did a great job early of disrupting all-American Tommy Burke at the faceoff dot. Burke has won 61.3% of his draws this season, but by halftime of this game, he had lost 8 of 15. Burke was able to win 6 of 7 draws over that pivotal third-quarter stretch. That gave Vermont the possessions they needed to get back on top. And despite losing three of four over the fourth quarter, Vermont was able to hold on for the win. Burke finished the day winning 14 of 27. And then credit to Zach Dudley of UMBC for having a solid day there. If we get into the individual statistics here, specifically for Vermont, Once again, Thomas McConvey has been great all season long. 5-0, Klosterman 1-2, Brock Haley 1-2. They spread it out, man. They they get production from this team. The run-and-gun style today beat out the 6-on-6 style of the day. And then in cage here, we see Ryan Cornell. He ends up with 12 saves on the day for Vermont. He wins the goalie battle. Vermont wins the game. And they will punch their ticket to the NCAA tournament, and that's that's the only team from from the America East that will will get a ticket to the America East tournament. Next one I want to talk about quickly here is Manhattan against Saint Bonaventure. Credit to Saint Bonaventure for having a great season here. Manhattan ends up kind of—I uh, think Saint Bonaventure was the one seed in this uh, MAC title game or in the MAC tournament. Uh, but in the end, Justin Malpicia, he scores Manhattan's final two goals of the game. The second of the batch gave Manhattan an 8-5 lead, their largest lead of the game, and that proved to be the game winner by the game's end. Malpicia finished the game with three goals, came into the tournament with just two goals and a helper. He puts up three goals in the Mac finals, including the game winner. Now that's what stepping up looks like. And as you kind of see how it played out here, Manhattan ends up with the lead early. They kind of controlled it. Uh, They end up with that 8-5 lead. Now, St. Bonaventure, they do get two back late, and they did make a good little run towards the end here to try to, to try to tie the game up late. Just ended up not being good enough. I heard a lot of people this season kind of talking about the battle of these two goalies here, and I heard people talking about how Dobson and Krebs were in line. Both should be PLL goalies. I watched this game. I mean, Dobson looked damn good in cage, he wins the goalie battle in this one by quite a bit. I, I, I think overall, I mean, Krebs was like 52% on the season. I think Dobson's save percentage was was approaching 60%. It might even been above 60%. So I know Dobson's going to be a PLL pro. Krebs, a, a very solid goalkeeper, though. And he, he looked good for Manhattan all season long. But I think Dobson was the better goalie. I think Do, Dobson was definitely the better goalie on this day. And then they end up winning this day. As you look at the point scores for Manhattan, I mean, it, it doesn't get any more spread out than that. Malpicia, he puts up three and zero or three goals, and then we've just got a bunch of one goal scores down here. every single goal unassisted, which is something you don't see all the time. So that is pretty crazy. And then at the faceoff dot, Manhattan wins this game despite losing six of 19 draws. So hell of a job by Manhattan to, a, play solid defense and, and kind of make up for uh, losing that face-off battle so badly. But then overall, just putting it together enough to get that win, and they win their conference tournament, and they will be going to the NCAA tournament, I think they said for the first time in 20-plus years, 22 years, something crazy like that. Now, here is where we get into more random here. It's Mother's Day, so I'm kind of trying to push through this so that we can get ourselves to brunch this morning, because I don't have a lot of time left here. So Richmond and Jacksonville, sadly, sadly, Jacksonville couldn't pull this out. This too was a hell of a game. Uh, Jacksonville just couldn't get it done here. They had a, they tied it up here late. They had a lead. Richmond ties it up here late. Luke Frankeney and then Cooper Dayton And then Luke Frankeny scores again, giving them a 10, eight lead. And you know, Jacksonville just couldn't get back in it in the end. If we get in here, we look at the scores for Richmond, Ryan Lanchberry, one and three Lance Madonna, two and one Luke Frankeny uh, three and oh. Hell of a job here by Richmond on that side. They ended up kind of bottling up uh, Jackson, uh, Jacksonville's Big Cats. Jackson in in he goes four and zero. Max Waldbaum just one and one. Jack Dolan just a goal. So you see Richmond played solid defense. And then the the big the big stat right here is Luke Milliken, eleven saves against eight goals against. He wins the goalie battle. He ends up winning the day. What happened at the faceoff dot here? Nathan Cap. He did well. Yeah. So, you know, Richmond ends up winning this game despite a huge disparity at the faceoff. Dot. They lost, lost nine of 22. Hell of a game though. Actually, I didn't, I'm, I'm not going to lie. I didn't see any of this one here because I was on vacation and I just got home yesterday. So my prep for this was a little short, but I was sad for this because I do not think Jacksonville is going to get an at-large bid. I think that Richmond's going to be the only team that's going to get in um, is going to get in out of this bunch. And I think that that Jacksonville losing this game ends their season. And it it was a hell of a season for Jacksonville. So that is a little bit sad. We jump to our next game, Towson against Delaware. Delaware takes it pretty handily here. They held an 8-4 lead at the half and then rolled to the win from there. If we look at their stats, we've got Ty Kurtz with six goals on the day. This kid's had a great season. Let's see what he's done all season long. Uh, 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 Kurtz. Boom. You look at this. Just look at the stats though to finish this season out. After a rough one here, one and one, even in a win though against Towson, eight and one against Drexel, four and two against Fairfield, three and two against Drexel, six and zero against Towson. Kurtz has finished the season insanely strong, but forty three and fourteen on the season for fifty seven points with a thirty thirty five point two percent shooting uh, percentage. That's that's pretty damn incredible here for Kurtz. But yep, Delaware moves on. Great season for them, eleven and five. During this regular season into their conference tournament. And uh, they'll be, you know, they're going to be a tough get for whoever ends up having to play them. They can play ball overall, Delaware can. Utah and Robert Morris, and once again, I was hoping for Utah to win this game, but you know it's like it's, you know the up-and-comers in conferences just it's hard to get to those conference finals for the first time, and then win those games, a lot of emotion, a lot of stress involved. And Robert Morris, the big cats that have been there before, done that before, they're the ones that end up winning this game. Utah held a 10 to nine or no, they were down 11 to 10 at the half. And despite the fact that things you know, kept getting close, tied up, we saw a ton of ties and all that crap throughout it. Every time Robert Morris – every time Utah would score to kind of get back into it, Robert Morris – I'm butchering this here because Utah had the lead late even, and Robert Morris needed, three, needed to string three goals together. So I butchered that. Utah held a 17-15 lead with 728 left in the fourth, if I'm going to get this right. And then Robert Morris strings together the game's final – Three goals. Uh, They tie it up with 55 seconds left in this game, and they score the game winner uh, in overtime uh, with 2.16 left in the overtime period. As I said, I'm sorry I was on vacation. I'm coming in here, and I'm just kind of flying by the seat of my pants for these last ones that we do here. So hell of a job by Robert Morris, and that just has to sting badly for Utah, especially to give up two man-up goals to end this game. That Corson Keeley man-up goal with 3.10 left, and then a Jake Boudreaux uh, man-up goal with 55 seconds left. That allowed them to get within a goal, allowed Robert Morris to tie it up, and then Elliot Holden scores the game-winner in overtime. So that stings. Let's look at the stats here for Robert Morris. Man, look at that game for Jake Boudreaux. Seven goals, three assists on the day. Taggart Clark goes four and three. So that is monstrous for them. They got it done at the faceoff dot. Robert Morris did as well, going 22 of 39 on the day between Bo Columbus, who ended up kind of not having a great day, but, uh, Steven Delmonic, I don't even know how to pronounce that. I hope I didn't butcher your name, man. Sorry to your parents. Uh, uh, if I did. So yeah, in the end, man, hell shit sucks for Utah. I was really looking forward to Utah winning this game and making the tournament did not happen. What did the goalies do here? Eh, not a great day for goalies in this one. So we're not even going to mention that next up another one. I was hoping that Hobart was going to be able to pull this one out. It was a long shot, for sure, but St. Joseph's holds on to beat Hobart 14-7. to It was never really in question. They were up 9-3 to at the half, and that was all she wrote. What did Derek Madonna, uh, yeah, the, the trio here of Madonna, Mott, and Archer kind of held down. Madonna had a great game 4-0. Mott, okay. Ryan Archer, 1-1. and Hobart, he's, he has to do more for Hobart to be able to win games like this and uh, that's you know that's okay though the dude's gonna be fine. Uh, Page Car- Carter Page for Saint Josephs goes for five goals. That's a hell of a day there for them. And then Levi Anderson two and two in this one. And then in terms of the goalie battle here, Robbie Sealy goes for sixteen saves with just seven goals against. An incredible day. And uh, Saint Josephs ends up winning their conference tournament, and they will get to punch a ticket into the NCAA finals. Now, we still have some games left here. On Friday, Boston U beat Lehigh in overtime. That one was nuts. I actually got to watch that game while sitting poolside on vacation. Hell of a game. And uh, so that's setting up the uh, the Patriot League finals. Now, Army beat Loyola. So we're going to have a Boston U and Army rematch here today in the Patriot League finals. And as we see here, Army has already beat Boston U at the, the in the season finale, and now they got to play them again. It's going to be a hell of a game here. I think that one's being played at noon today. We'll see here in a sec. Uh, Cornell, I had hitched my bandwagon to Cornell here for the rest of the season. Now, Cornell is firmly on the bubble after Yale dropped them 14 to 11 on Friday. I watched that one from poolside as well. And then Brown got kind of beat up by Penn here in the other semifinal in the Ivy on Friday. Uh, Penn wins 14 to nine, and that sets up our games for today where we have Boston U taking on Army at noon, and we have Yale taking on Penn at noon. So that's going to kind of cap it up here. I'm not, because it's Mother's Day and it's already 10.36 and I got to leave for brunch quick, I'm going to cap this here. I'm not going to do my prognostication. What we'll do here is I'll come back probably Tuesday uh, and I'll put a show out Tuesday where we're ta- we'll talk about the tournament, we'll talk about all the seeds and who we think's going to win what and everything like that, and I'll start to try to make my predictions. I'll fill out my bracket and we'll go from there. I'm going to have to kill this show here for today. I hope it was okay though. I tried to cover the first four or five games in better detail with highlights and all that crap. So I hope you dug that, but, uh, yeah, it was dope. I got to watch the Duke Notre Dame game on the plane on the way home. So that was pretty awesome. And, um, that's it. I'll be back here. I'm going to do a show on Tuesday. As I said, I may even live stream the show Tuesday night. I'll pop it up on Twitter or whatnot with what I'm going to going to do Twitter and Facebook. So you guys can see, but, uh, that's today's show. Uh, Sorry, I'm cutting you short, man. But Mother's Day brunch calls. We're going to be drinking booze here. I'm going to the Beer Tree Brewery. So I get to eat breakfast mixed with delicious beer. So we'll see how that works out. And uh, that is it. I'll be back Tuesday. And then we'll be back again next Sunday. All that good crap. So thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. And Hoost is out.